Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, October 28, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 11, A Vision for You, on page 151, the first paragraph beginning with, For Most Normal Folks. Today's readers are, reading the OA 12 Steps is Marietta, reading the OA 12 Traditions is Rose, and reading the literature are Judy B., Chelsea, Sylvia, and Melanie. The reference number for Sunday, October 27th, is 5371. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Marietta to read the OA 12 Steps. Good morning. It's Marietta, 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admit that we are powerless over food and that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we'd harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to prove our conscious contact with God as we understood him. And I wanted to ask for, excuse me. Knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. 
Thank you, Marietta. I will now ask Rose to read the OA 12 Traditions. Thank you, Rebecca. This is Rose. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Rose. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as Compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 11, A Vision for You, on page 151, the first paragraph, beginning with, For Most Normal Folks. I will ask Judy B. to begin reading. 
Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. This is Judy B., grateful recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. A vision for you. For most normal folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. It means release from care, boredom, and worry. It is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good. But not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. The old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did, and a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. Wow. This paragraph so clearly reminds me of what it was like uh, before I found uh, release from this crazy mental obsession. Uh, It's really good for me to remember what it was like then because life has changed so much for me. What it was like then was horrible. You know, it was it was anything but conviviality, companionship and, and joy and happiness. It was agony. You know, it was being so dependent on the next bite and feeling so so destroyed because I just couldn't leave the food alone. I'd gather up the strength to um, to follow a decent food plan for a certain amount of time, and then inevitably I would go back to the food. And that happened over and over and over for many years in my life. And um, I just, I never thought it would end. I, I really... I thought that it 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 was um, it determined the rest of my life, and as hard as I would try, eventually I would go back to the food, and and now I understand what was going on. You know, I would oh I was just con- I was controlled by the uh, physical allergy and the mental obsession. My, my I was not free. I was not able to live my life the way I wanted to, and uh, the contrast with uh, today is just, it's better than a miracle. I mean, it's just, the change is just, I'm so grateful for it, and um, it's really good to to think about what it was like then, because I don't ever, ever want to go back for it. I I so identified with that um, we are thinking about a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. I mean, every new thing that came out on the market, this was going to be my new chance. And and it didn't prove to be. What proved to be my new chance was this 12-step program, and I'm so grateful for it. Thank you very much, and I'll pass. Thank, thank you, Judy B. I hear someone. This is, this is Barbara. This is Kim. I thought I heard a male voice first. 
Okay, I heard Rose, Barbara, and Kim. So Rose, you can go first or in second. <laughs> I mean <Thanks>. next. <laughs> Thanks, Rebecca. Good morning. This is Rose. Uh, very grateful. Also recovered compulsive overeater in um, New York. And um, right in the middle of the paragraph, <clears throat> never says never could we recapture the great moments of the past. And and that um, reminds me when I was being brought through the book. Um, it says we are like men who could um, lost our legs and could never grow new ones. And it's um, so perfect here, as with the rest of the book, the way it's written, that the words are chosen exactly. They're not chosen. The, the words are given by God to say exactly what is meant. Never, we could never recapture those great moments of the past. Um, but then the next thing is the one that really resonated with me. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life, granted as we once did, um, and the heartbreaking obsession, etc. <clears throat> but when Judy read that, that insistent yearning, it was something... It seemed, you know, when I became a food addict, and I also became an addict in other substances as well, that they satisfied that insistent yearning in my heart, that they brought about the joy and happiness. They finally, I found it. I found it. I, I, I found the connection. So it seemed. So it felt. And then for all those years, for myself, pursuing this um, insanity of um, uh, I was going to beat this obsession of the food myself with some new miracle, with some magic trick. I was even going to find the right prayer to God. Although, um, if you'll forgive me, I believe my prayers were so answered beyond my wildest imagination, which is that I was brought to recovery. And every prayer I put out was honored, but not in the way I was looking for it. I wanted God to give me a magic trick, take away the addiction, and let me eat the way I wanted. And lo and behold, he didn't do that. He brought me to the real recovery of this through this book. And I, I just go back to the insistent yearning to enjoy life. That is what has happened. It was answered through following every direction in this book and then continuing daily here to follow the directions because the joys do expand. And um, the real joy, as we covered in the 12th step, um, the whole chapter is where that insistent yearning becomes um, fulfilled. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Barbara? Thank you. This is Barbara. I'm a composable reader. I'm very glad to be uh, starting this chapter today and reading this paragraph again because what it does for me is it takes me back to before I was a retired person and was going to OA in New Jersey, and we had big book meetings. And when we came to this paragraph, the women who were from AA come to OA would talk about those days of 
you know, being in the bars, being, you know, with friends, being at parties before their dependence developed to serious alcoholism. And I used to share that I never could, with food, go back to days of happiness and conviviality and friendship because from childhood, my use of food was something that was a solitary experience. It was hidden. It was secret. It was shameful. I was lonely. And that's my first first recollection, and that persisted. That persisted. It was always secret in the closet, with it literally at times in the closet with the food. It was a lonely, miserable existence right from the beginning. It wasn't that it just got to be that uh, way later on uh, with, you know, the progression of the disease. So my only hope now for this, once it's very clear with a lifetime of no, no miracles, no new way, this failure, my only miracle is coming to 12-step way of life to OA with abstinence and recovery. That's the only miracle. And I don't want to forget it. And I'm very glad uh, to be reminded that going back isn't going back to any good old days or any happiness. It's going back to the same old misery and sorrow. Uh, this is the joy of living now. As it, the big book promises, it's happy, joyous, and free. Even learning to absorb the realities of life and the sufferings and going through them to another side. Thank you. Pass. Thank you, Barbara. Kim? Second, who's Kim, my name? I said Kim, yes. Oh, I'm sorry, I was on the um, Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And, uh, you know, often when I have someone that's new or calling me and asking questions, I, I bring them to these first couple pages. Because this whole chapter of vision for you, not only is it the name of our meeting, but this is showing you going from disease to recovery, going from disease to how this fellowship was formed. You know, what these pioneers did, but specifically, what are we trying to recover from? You know, this first paragraph, we'd like to all think we can live in those first couple sentences. You know, you want to be those normal folks that can, can experience, can eat without impunity. But what is our reality? Our reality is that the old pleasures are gone. They were but memories. We could never recapture the great moments of our youth. You know, and I do have good memories of food when I was younger, and a lot of people don't, but one specific one hits in my head where I was about eight years old, and we were on the Jersey Shore on the boardwalk, and my dad and I are walking down the boardwalk, and I'm holding his hand, and I have an ice cream cone in one hand, and it's hot out, and I'm giggling and laughing because I'm trying to eat the ice cream before it hits my hand as it's melting down the, the ice cream cone. And I keep thinking at, at 20, at 25, at 30, maybe I can get back to that memory. I have that heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle control was enabled to do it. Because the fact was, where I was with this disease, how it had progressed, is if I was enjoying it, I couldn't control it. And if I was controlling it, I couldn't enjoy it. So I often bring newcomers here because you have to recognize, we have to mourn the fact that food is no longer working. It is that boomerang which has now come and has shred us to ribbons. And we do not have the option to go back and have it be a release from care, boredom, and worry. 
that solution no longer works. You know, and I had someone last week tell me that, you know, this, this miracle that we have the 12 steps and this miracle of these recovered voices, are they lying? Are they exaggerating? This can't be true that they live free from this disease. But the fact is I do. The fact is I no longer want the food. That is the miracle. Not that I have used OA as a diet program and a, and a cheerleading section that I can learn to beat the food to one more day, but that I truly live a life where food is not the forefront of my mind, that I need to take care of my food plan because I want to be happy and healthy and my body get the nutrition it needs, but I am no longer tortured by my, my binge food. So to me, this paragraph talks about when I'm a kid and I go to a birthday party and excited to play the games and the, and the presents and there happens to be a cake. To the time when it progressed to the only thing that mattered in that birthday party, I didn't care what kids were there, I didn't care what prizes were there or what games were there, just get me to the cake. Just get me to the cake. And I can never go back. Never, ever, ever will we go back. Because why? Because that last line, there was always one more tempt and one more failure. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. This is Bella. Can I share? Sure, Bella. Go ahead. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Rebecca, for leading this meeting, and thank you, everybody that is on the line. Wow, I like this paragraph because it's a paragraph with hope. And I see two very uh, empowering words, miracle and control. And it reminds me where I was, where I don't want to go back, and where I want to look forward. And it's interesting that the word miracle comes before control. And yes, in the past, I wanted the control. I I saw that I have the control, and I wanted the control, and it was always a failure. And because I was in the controlling level, I couldn't see the miracle. My controlling was blocking the miracle, and God is giving miracle every second. But the controlling was blocking me from seeing it. And I thought that I can manage the world, and it was always a failure. I don't want to go back there. Now, what is the the present that will bring me to a, a more successful future? The miracle. Yes, I am powerless. I am powerless over the food. I am powerless of everything. I have. I just have one power to do the right choice, to do the best choice that I can one day at a time. And today my choice is to see the miracle, to be able to see the miracle and to live the miracle. And where, I, how can I do it when I know that I have a great, where, where there is a greater power than myself, when I know that God is in control and I want to build up my relationship with God. And when I build up my relationship with God, then when I see the miracle. And the miracle is that when I am willing to give up my control. And by this I pass. Thank you very much for letting me share. Thank you, Bella. 
This is Rebecca. This is Ken. Hi, Ken. I'll let you go ahead then, and then I'll go. go okay, ahead. thank you. This paragraph is so powerful to me this morning. Um, the sentence that really jumps out for me is, there was always one more attempt and one more failure. And it makes me think back to um, the first time I was dragged to a diet at age 13. And I think about the failures along the way. And it was just a constant, constant failure. Uh, even many years in the OA rooms, I felt like a failure. Um, I would get abstinence for a certain period of time, and I would lose it. And each time those failures, I really just got deeper and deeper down into the disease. And um, this paragraph also shows me, I kind of have a smile on my face because I know what's coming in this chapter and the fact that recovery is out there. And I had to come to a rock bottom uh, and totally surrender and understand exactly what my powerlessness was. But this sentence just really hit home for me today. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Ken. Well, this is Rebecca, and I'd like to share on this paragraph. Um, I want to try to paint a picture of um, how I wasn't like most normal folks how I'm not like most normal folks even today um, because I have this disease called compulsive overeating. When I think of um, most normal folks eating uh, and having conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination, I think about Thanksgiving as the quintessential eating event in my life anyway, and probably many others can identify. Um, and here it is, the end of October, and in my past, in my disease, I would be getting started on preparing Thanksgiving a month in advance. And I'd be basically obsessing about Thanksgiving for an entire month. Um, what we were going to serve, how I was going to cook it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was so in control of the event, even though it's my husband's family who comes to our house every year, not mine, I had to control it. And um, I didn't experience conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. I experienced... Um, feeling like the caterer and um, obsessing about notes. I have notes uh, in Microsoft Word, pages and pages of copious notes on every recipe and what time to do this and what day to do that and when to take the turkey out and start defrosting it to base, based on the number of pounds and blah, 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 on and on and on. And every year my husband would say, gee, I wish we could have lasagna for Thanksgiving and it turned into a joke because there was no way I was going to have lasagna on Thanksgiving. So fast forward to now I'm recovered. While I was away this past weekend at an OA retreat, my husband made three pans of lasagna and put them in the freezer. And with my blessing, I mean, I didn't know he was going to do it this past weekend, but he mentioned it this time, and it wasn't a joke. 
He can have whatever he wants on Thanksgiving. I'm not in control of that anymore. I I totally let it go. I'm happy to help. I'm happy to be involved. But it doesn't matter to me what we serve. And um, therefore, I don't think I made any notes last year. And um, I was free and intend to be this year free to enjoy the companionship and the conviviality and the colorful imagination of my guests. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to share before we move on? It's this Leia. is Paula, may I share? Why don't we take Leah and Paula, and then we'll move on. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah, recovered compulsive overeater for most normal folks. Well, you know, right from the get-go, a person like me, real a real compulsive overeater like me, is not normal. You know, I have a, a two-fold disease. I have an allergy of the body, meaning that once I per put certain food substances into my body, it reacts in a way that demands more of the same. Uh, Dr. Silkwardis calls this a phenomenon of craving. It's like uh, throwing a match into a bucket of gasoline. Whoosh! You know, I take one bite, and that bite takes me. That is my reality. I'm biologically mandated uh, to pursue those substances which intensifies, it never satisfies. And then, of course, the greater aspect of my disease is my mind, meaning that despite the pain, despite the suffering, uh, despite the tears, despite the vows and the promises and the wishes and the necessity to stop, uh, the obsession of the mind compels me to pick up again and again and again and again. And that mental obsession takes possession of me without my consciousness and without my permission. So I'm not normal. You know, my book tells me that no person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows, but that is my reality. Uh, and it was my, it's been my reality for a very, very long time, since I was a kid. Since I was a kid, I mean, I knew something was wrong. I did not know it was a disease. I didn't know what I was up against. I didn't understand the depths to which this disease would take me. I didn't realize how hot hell was going to get. I did not see the writing on the wall. But certainly, uh, I gave a good try to recapture perhaps those moments of ease and comfort that I experienced around age eight, let's say, <laughs> maybe six. Um, you know, there was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did and a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. I mean, the ease and comfort that I experienced as a young, young, young child was long gone, long gone, because uh, these chains of compulsive overeating were much too hard to break, um, you know, by the time I realized what was going on. You know, we always hear about that uh, analogy about the pickle. I was well brined before I realized uh, that, uh, you know, I had become a pickle. Uh, there's no reversing of that brining process. I was a real compulsive overeater, and despite any, um, you know, attempts at control, 
And there were numerous attempts and numerous uh, methods that I tried to recapture that past, uh, that small past where there was a sense of ease and comfort and yet not the uh, painful, miserable consequences. I mean, they, they, they say death is the greatest loss. Well, for me, two decades of mayhem is a great loss. It's a great loss to feel like you're dying inside while you're still alive. That's a great loss. When the madness was so severe, the soul was getting sucked right out of me. I was shattered. I was shattered. But the message of hope here is that I don't live that way anymore. That greater aspect of my disease has been driven out. It's been expelled. I walk this planet a free person. And that is a remarkable story, and that's exactly what recovered people tell, and that's exactly what this whole chapter is about. This message of hope, this good news, that I came from where I came from, that I lived the way that I used to live, that I felt and acted the way I used to feel and act, that is true. But I no longer live that way, I no longer feel and act that way, and I I no longer have to live in that misery and shackles of compulsive overeating there has been a way out there has been a way out and it's through the process of these steps and for that i'm grateful and with that i pass thank you thank you leah paula thank you this is paula can you hear me rebecca yes i can Okay. First, good morning, and thank you for your service. I just wanted to look at these, this line here. Well, actually, I never did want to look at this line, but not so with us. See, there was a certain us I wanted to belong to. You know those lines we read before this, but some would say, and yet, and yet. I wanted to live in those first lines. I didn't want to move on. But you see, this disease is progressive. It does move on. I became the other us. In those last days of heavy drinking, the old pleasures were gone. Sometimes I wonder, were they really there? Remember, many mental twists there. They were but memories. And even then, the memory was distorted. And even then, the memory was distorted. I can't recapture a memory, but I tried. How do you do that? How do you go back? How do I go back to my 30th birthday? If anybody could knows that answer, please let me know. But this is it. Never. It's very clear. It uses the word never. Not at all. That's the meaning. Not at all. You couldn't. And I couldn't, though I tried. And there it says, there was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did, did we? I had to often ask myself these questions, and a heartbreak and obsession, it did break my heart. That some new miracle of control, and I tried many, would enable us, new, not known before, well, let me seek it out, would enable us to do it. There was always one more attempt And one more failure. That's what I needed in this path. But now I'm in another us. So, so grateful. Thank you. And with that, I allow you to share. 
Thank you, oh, Paula. Pass. <laughs> Thank you, Paula. Um, Chelsea, would you like to move on with the next paragraph? I sure will. Good morning, everyone. This is Chelsea, covered today in South Jersey. The less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society, from life itself. As we became subjects of King Alcohol, shivering denizens of his mad realm, the chilling vapor that is loneliness settled down. It thickened, ever becoming blacker. Some of us sought out sordid places, hoping to find understanding, companionship, and approval. Momentarily, we did. Then would come oblivion and the awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. Wow, so let's unpack that. It's a lot of stuff happening here for me in this thing. Terror, first of all, being fear, that intense fear. My life was driven by fear. And it's telling me here that I was a servant, subject, subject of a king alcohol, so that a slave to the food and purging and binging was my king, my master, as it says earlier in the readings that we went through. I was whipped. I was whipped by this food, too. And this tells me what it was like living as a slave in the food and binging and purging, alcohol, laxatives, before I had my spiritual awakening or psychic change, if you will, that was sufficient enough to tell my mind, no, it's not okay for me to go back and do those behaviors. No, it's not. And it connected me with something that was far greater than the food and everything, somebody who dethroned that king. And that was these 12 steps. When I actually did the work and when I actually let go of trying to decide how everybody else should live and how only Chelsea had the solution for everything, I got the opposite of this awful awakening, as it mentions in here, the awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen. That's the opposite of the spiritual awakening I had. An awful awakening, awakening is, is a horrible thing. An awful awakening is when I would wake up from a stupor, having been out all night just eating and drinking and doing all manner of sordid things, because I went to those sordid things seeking ease and comfort, I would find out what, where was I even at that night before. When you're a blackout drunk, compulsive overeater, addicted to sexual, inappropriate sexual behaviors, as I really found out when I did the uh, sexual conduct part, I found that I, I was just really a habitant, and that's what it means, a Dedensian. A Dedensian means habitant. I lived, I resided in this shivering, cold, mad, insane place, that was lonely, my isolation, my loneliness, and it got worse and worse. And every time I did try to inject myself into the process to make it better, it only got worse. And that's what the big book tells us, too. It only gets worse. It never gets better. So shivering, and it reminds me, too, of that um, quicksand uh, story part in the book, that quicksand. Shivering, shaking, got up, and it had really whipped me this time. So the terror, the fear, the bewilderment, all that confusion in my mind, being perplexed about everything, it says bewilderment, extreme confusion of the mind, perplexity, befuddlement, frustration, insecurity, that's what that means, dissatisfaction. And it says it's arising from unresolved problems. Here we are again, selfishness, self-centered. I didn't get my way, so I'm frustrated. Despair. 
hopelessness. I remember, and I, I think I mentioned on the line before that I was raised holy and sanctified, and that's like an evangelical Christian type of raising. The Bible meant everything. And I can remember my mom telling us, you never despair because the despair is to turn your back on God. And I, you know, I chided at that. I think it even, you know, I chided. I kind of, oh, who, who, despair? Why can't we despair? But now I understand why. I understand now because now, interestingly, and becoming more and more each day, as long as I keep increasing my spiritual fitness, I'm turning to my divine director for the solutions. I'm not turning to a box of laxatives or a bottle of laxatives. I'm not turning to stick my fist down my throat as far as I can to to eliminate all the mounds of food that I had shoved in. I'm not doing that today. I'm free today. King alcohol was dethroned by these 12 steps that I took. And I'm just grateful that my divine director today shows me grace, love, tolerance, and patience is the best way to live my life. And I'm free today because of that. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Hello? Hello. Hi. Good morning, Rebecca. This is Sippy up in Canada, a most grateful, recovered, compulsive eater. Thank you, God. Thank you, everyone on the line. As we became subjects of King Alcohol, and then I'll jump over to it thickened, ever becoming blacker. Like the disease is a progressive disease, and the cloud over my head and around me was getting thicker and blacker. It was so black that I couldn't see. I only see so clearly now how thick that cloud was. Now that, thank God, you know, going through the 12 steps and being recovered, I can I can see how this disease just took over me. I had all the reasons to be happy, joyous, and free, and I just ch- chose King Alcohol I didn't even realize how much of it was control and fear-based and how I was a subject of the food rather than than God. And, um, and during the process, it was so shameful. Or when I got right started the process, it was so shameful, shameful. But hearing all of you recovered on the line gave me hope. And listening to all, I call them all my sponsors, whoever I called on the line and hearing, you know, little mantras like trust the process and one day at a time. Because while you're going through the process and while you're listening to all these recovered people, you just you just want to have it right then. And um, and my curiosity also of feeling that way was something that egged me on and, thank God, got me there. And um, the frustration and the despair, and even earlier, the way it says, there was always one more attempt, even while I was in away, even while I got in at December 2009, I was busy attempting because I was playing, you know, the food plan bunny hop. You know, I was going from this fellowship and that fellowship, and I was still using control because I had no clue how the mental obsession takes over, even while I thought I was working this program. And it's such a freedom and serenity. I could take the 12 steps with me everywhere. 
I just sat in the car with family members, you know, down from Montreal to New York, back and forth. And the cellophane bags were coming out and the little brown things were coming out. And every time they offered it to me, I didn't even feel anything. And, you know, a comment here, oh, she's on a diet. And, and I'm thrilled between my ears, I am thrilled, happy, joyous, and free, and I'm so grateful to God and to all of you, and whoever's listening and thinks that they can't get there, you can, one day at a time. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Eileen? Thank you, Sippy. Eileen? Thank you very much. Uh, this is Eileen from Bedford, Mass., a food addict. Oh. These paragraphs are like so wonderful. It just brings me back to where I was. You know, I think I've shared on this meeting before that it took me 18 years to get the willingness uh, to work this program and, and to put God in my life. You know, I used to push him out of my life even as a young girl. I grew up Catholic and I was dropped off at Sunday school. I used to sit skip Sunday school. I'd go out with my friends. I was a follower, not a leader. And, um, you know, I, I used to shove God out of my life. But now, thank God that I have a fellowship, that I have 12 steps that I can live my life by. You know, I don't do it perfectly, but I try to do it to the best of my ability. And I always you know, if I'm struggling with something, I have a job interview today too. I'm going to ask God to please follow me into that job interview. And thank you, God, I don't get nervous uh, during interviews. I just trust now. I trust that whatever is meant to be will be meant to be, and I can live with that because God is running the show. I am not controlling it. Um. As we became subjects of king alcohol or sugar flour, whatever, shivering denizens of his mad uh, realm, the chilling vapor that is loneliness settled down. Loneliness, I isolated myself. I brought loneliness into my life with this disease. And, And I used to be so ashamed that I could not get this program and that I couldn't put the sugar and, and, and flour down, that I wouldn't put it down. That was a big thing for me. I was unable to walk through cravings, you know, until I finally got desperate enough in 2004. And I, I couldn't do it anymore. My heaviest weight was 215 pounds. I certainly don't weigh that today, and it's all because of this fellowship, and it's all because of my higher power. Um, To face the hidden, hideous four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. To face the fear, doubt, and insecurity. I still have those. Um, You know, and I try on a daily basis to, to sweep those out of my life as well. And every night when I get down on my knees, I say, thank you, God, for an abstinent day. I am truly grateful because I am that I don't live in the loneliness today. 
that I don't live in the frustration or despair. And um, I'll end with that. Thanks for listening. I'll pass. Thank you, Eileen. This is Sylvia. This is is Sharon. May I share? Before Sylvia, I heard a man's voice. Hi, this is Larry. Okay, Larry, then Sylvia, and then Sharon. Go right ahead, Larry. Thank you. Thanks so much. I'll keep it brief. There's a lot of people that want to jump in. This is Larry, compulsive reader from Chicago. I guess I just want to chime in too. Um, it's so great to be uh, to read these words out of the big book. These words penned so many years ago and yet so relevant to me today. Um, you know, the, the, the uh, boy, that shivering, shivering denizen, you know, that, that to me, it really, you know, frustration, despair, how many days do I get up and just try again? You know, I go back to what was said when we started um, when someone shared about, I'd better never forget, I think, I better never forget that I have, there's a twofold nature of my disease, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And we hear it so much that sometimes for me, I don't know about you, it goes, you know, for so many years, it went in one ear and out the other. You know, and then I, and then one day I, I, I thought to myself, why do certain people, um, you know, that I run into in program over the phone, face-to-face meetings, why do they consistently share that? Enough already. I've heard that already. I, got, I have it down. I graduated from that. I got an A on that test. I can, I can repeat that. And then it occurred to me, because I'm a slow, slow learner, I need to really get dumb. That, that is the essence of it, that because once I embrace that, because it was like Groundhog Day for me, the movie Groundhog Day, you know, same thing again, different day, one more attempt. But until I embrace the fundamental core issue here, the allergy of the body, the obsession of mind, until I embrace that, I would not accept that in order for me to overcome that, I needed to have a spiritual awakening. And one of the ways that these people continue to have a spiritual awakening is by working these steps and living and embracing these steps every day. That it wasn't about a diet. That's what it was for me, diet and group support. Another thing we hear, what does that mean, man? Sick of hearing it, diet and group support. Well, I have an allergy to the body, an obsession of the mind. I need a spiritual awakening. And in order to have that, I have to work these steps, not play games anymore. That's what Larry used to do, not anymore. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Sylvia? Hi, this is Sylvia, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in upstate New York. And um, I just have a short share. The, um, the less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society, from life itself. And one of the things that when I bring... Uh, new people, new sponsees on, and, you know, why are we reading a book that has to do with alcohol, and shouldn't we be substituting the words? And I read this paragraph, and, you know, it it was no different. The less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society, from life itself. And so most of my eating was secret eating. I'm, I didn't go out with binge buddies uh, necessarily, but I was getting, you know, I would go through the aisles of the grocery store and I'd have to pick out all the salty, crunchy, and then all the sweet and make sure everything, you know, I had plenty of everything and then home and eating at home while nobody could see. And uh, in my 
car. You know, that was, I've heard it called the binge mobile because nobody could see what I was eating. And so, you know, definitely withdrew from society to get my fix and not wanting other people to see it. And even when some of us sought our sordid places, hoping to find understanding, companionship, and approval, and I see that going on now, there are, there are restaurants uh, in our community where you can see the people who might have my uh, disease going there because it's accepted there. Uh, the portions are just huge and the calories are just huge and um, and it's, it's acceptable. So, And then, of course, uh, you know, having this behavior where I have just eaten, eaten into oblivion and the awful, awful awakening to wonder how the heck this happened again. How, how did it happen? And unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. And that's, that's the beauty of uh, our group is that we understand how terrifying that, that used to be and how amazing this is now. Uh, you know, recovery is just a dream, a fantasy, uh, but it's real. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sylvia. Sharon? Good morning. This is Sharon, compulsive eater in Colorado. Can you hear me, Rebecca? Yes, Sharon, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, I just uh, could identify a lot with uh, uh, Sylvia, who just shared. Uh, I too was always trying to do this in in private. Um, you know, rooted in my own pride. I didn't want other people to know how out of control I was with food. And I wish I could tell you that the first time this happened, that then I I uh, I got abstinent, but it was what kept bringing me back over and over again. And today I am grateful uh, to feel like, by God's grace, I have totally surrendered to the core of my being, that the obsession of my mind and the allergy of the body will never change, and therefore I must pick up this spiritual kit of tools and, and follow them. Um, and one of the things that came back to my mind when it was one more attempt and one more failure and then the horrible, hideous four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair, there was a time when I went with a very good friend of mine on a road trip to San Diego, California because her daughter was starting college out there. And the four of us drove out together. We stayed at uh, one of her friend's uh, townhomes while we were there. And they had a swimming pool on the premises, and I would sneak down there and just uh, raid the vending machine. Uh, vending machines are off limits for me today. Uh, but I would raid the vending machine and just try and eat as much as I could and then go back up to the townhome. So nobody knew, you know, that I was doing that. However, on the way home, we drove home, and her daughter was no longer with us, so I was in the back seat. Uh, her her friend and my friend were in the <clears throat> front seat, and I would say, oh, we've got to stop here. Oh, we've got to stop there, every gas station, every place along the way, and I would just load up with all these uh, binge foods and just be eating totally out of control in the back seat. Um, it was such a humiliating experience, and um, <clears throat> that was the beginning of me realizing to the core of my being that um, I couldn't handle a little bit of sugar, but unfortunately, I had to learn as I went along there were a lot of other things besides sugar that that I couldn't handle. Um, 
So I, I too just kept wanting to be that normal person and today I accept I am not and I receive this gift that is being given to all of us by being willing to acknowledge and admit that and then work the steps to stay free from that obsession and to be able to help others and to trust in God to do it, uh, what I can't do for myself. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Sharon. It's five minutes before the top of the hour, and it's time to close. So thank you to everyone who has shared today. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Sylvia please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, this is Sylvia. Um, Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.